0: Hello and welcome. I'm Payal Gupta and you're listening to The Happiness Project, a podcast series that explores the way we think, do, be and become while bringing happiness and meaning to our life. Through this series, I've made a deliberate choice to understand my guests and how they live happiness in who they are and what they do. They are some of the most interesting, humble and awesome people who walk the talk in their own spheres, while working with different elements of happiness. These guests are from the fields of business, education, philosophy, science, healing and more. We will dive deep into their beliefs, practices, frameworks and tools, which you can draw upon from and apply to yourself, your work and relations. Together, we will call out some lessons from their journey, success and testing times. I'm glad to bring to you the happiness project created by Celebratory Network, where we work with organizations to shape a happy workplace culture. I would like to welcome Matthew Chako. Matthew is a lawyer with a focus on cross-border investments, data technology and trade flows. He has acted on some of the most challenging cross-border deals involving India and Southeast Asia. Matthew is the founding partner of Spiceroot Legal. He specializes in cross-border mergers and acquisitions, private equity and venture capital deals, particularly in the technology sector. Spiceroot Legal has some interesting practices unlike many other law firms. I look forward to hearing from Matthew about what SRL does in terms of culture, its ways of work, and his own experience of being a lawyer. So Matthew, thanks for being on this podcast. Um, I'd like to begin um, this conversation by, you know, you sharing with us a little bit about you, your background, what do you do, so our listeners get to know you.
1: Okay, so hi, hi everyone. Um, I'm a lawyer who's been a lawyer for about close to two decades now, so that makes me a very old, old lawyer. Um, but it was also an entrepreneur in the sense that I, along with a very close friend, set up a law firm of my own. Um, I'm based in Bangalore. Um, I've lived in five, six cities, and um, quite happy with Bangalore. Um, so uh, Matthew,
0: would you be able to help us know what, what inspired you or what got you to become a lawyer? Was there something that was a trigger? Or was this something that you always wanted to do? Uh,
1: what, what really got you to this space? But to, to a large extent, um, when I got into lawyering, um, and I'm um, uh, slightly, um, uh, slightly naive about what lawyering was. Hmm. Um to the extent that I, I thought by becoming a lawyer, um I was going to in some way defend, help, create justice, uh, help poor people, etc. Um I thought I would do a lot of human rights work, thought I would, you know. Um, all these political. So ever since I was a kid, I would spend hours reading the newspaper. Um, at home, we'd get about three sets of newspapers and I'd read all three sets out. Um, and so the, the large political debates, um, for me, were what I thought were a part of an average lawyer's life. Okay. Um, watching, um, um, in that time, um, I think it was Ali McBeal and the practice um, also gave me this idea that, you know, being a lawyer means helping people, uh, means uh, arguing for justice, um, means a lot of things which uh, over the last two decades I've realized may not be the sole aspect of lawyering. But um, I, I would like to think that my, my conception of, of, of the role I would like to play in um, the delivery of justice is what got me to be a lawyer.
0: Yeah, and in some way it started when you were fairly young.
1: It, it did, it, um, not as an obsession with law. I would like to think it started with an obsession with politics and economics. Mm. Uh, and somewhere where I got confused between the roles that a lawmaker plays and a lawyer plays. Um or the roles that a policy advocate plays as opposed to a normal advocate. But um but I'm not complaining, it's been a good journey. But um but but it is those conceptions of justice, um as as Amartya Sen would say that got me into lawyering. Okay. All right.
0: Okay. Thanks for that, Matthew. So um, I also understand that while while you took up this journey, you also worked in some organizations before you started uh, SRL. Would you want to share with us what was your experience and, and what made you move from being an employee to starting Spiced Out TV?
1: Right. So um, I spent five years in college. Um, mm-hmm. In five years in college, for about four and a half years, I interned with public policy organizations, civil society, organizations and charities. Hmm. Um, I never worked, um, in, a, in a law firm, so to speak, right? As an intern. And, and then I realized that my interaction with what non-government organizations do, what charities do in India, um, what public policy organizations do in India was not what I wanted to do. Do, right. So I looked around and I said, okay, maybe I, maybe what is the and and what I was really good at in college was was arguing, right, advocacy, not not necessarily being a lawyer, but advocacy. So um, if if I had a cause, I thought I could carry it forward in a unique manner, which other people may not have been able to. Uh, um, and so I said, all right, I'll try and go to court. So I reached out to like all these advocates and I was fairly sure I'm from a small village in Kerala. I was fairly sure that I'm not going back to that small village. So I, and I'm again, was fairly sure I'm not going back to Kerala. So I applied to a lot of lawyers in Delhi to kind of work with them. Um, I got a few jobs, Uh, salaries range between a thousand rupees to 3000 rupees, which even then was not good enough to support um, you know, a, a, a non-Delhiite living in Delhi and kind of, um, even making ends meet, right? So torn between kind of, um, delaying my eventual progression to becoming a litigating lawyer or on the other hand, um, asking my parents for support, I chose to kind of delay my litigation. And I decided to sit in college for college interviews, right? Um, there were two very, very large law firms that were coming in, one was India's largest and one was what at that time was, I guess, India's sexiest. And I'd applied for both for, for I mean, as a backup, um, sat in both interviews and got an offer from both. Um, hmm. Thought about it very carefully. One was an offer in Bombay. The other was an offer in Delhi, Um, even then. And even now, Bombay scares me. So I said, okay, I want to go to Delhi. So I joined what was then India's largest law firm, Amarchand Mangaldas, right? Um, And in Amarchand, I joined their corporate M&A practice. Um, And while I enjoyed the work, I longed to do something else that had a little more of a what I then thought was a real feel to this, right? A little more, um, not litigation because litigation required me to know Hindi and as a good Malayali boy, I did not know any Hindi. Uh, <laughs> so I, 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 I want to do something that had more to do with cases and case law and analysis and advisory. Um, and. So so I went to my boss who is um, uh, a very well respected Gujarati lawyer and said you know I'm, I love m um, and but I want to do something else as well. Uh, so he, in this typical faction you know he's looking at a young lawyer um, doesn't know anything and he thinks he can walk up to one of India's top lawyers and say what he wants and expects this this you know well established fabulous lawyer to turn his firm around so that I can do some I can, it can please my heart. So while he was very polite and kind, that did not happen. Um, I moved from becoming a capital markets lawyer to, be, I mean, what is called, sorry, from becoming a mergers and acquisitions lawyer to then moving to the capital markets team, right? Um, to me, that was moving from um, a process oriented uh, deal making role in corporate, to the world's most mind-jumping job ever, right? I would compare my six to eight months in a capital market practice to sitting at a security guard and watching people go with absolutely no role, right? Um, Primary role involves taking down pieces of information and putting it into a audit checklist. Um, and no offense to capital markets lawyers. I think some of you are absolutely fabulous. It is just the way I, in my naivety, thought about it at that time, right? Um, Did that for another six months, went back to the same fabulous lawyer boss that I had and said, now I'm serious. You move me out of this or I will quit, right? I don't have a plan. I don't have another place to go to, but this is not it for me. Um, and then he looked at me and said, "Okay, we're setting up a new IP team, intellectual property team. Will you move to that?" Uh, um, and I said, "Sure. Anything to get away from capital markets, right?" <laughs> um, so I jumped to intellectual property. Um, that involved a very close interaction with policy, with technology, and courts. Um, loved it. Uh, realized that some parts of it I did not like. And that is where I fell in love with technology law. And in many ways, it's almost 16, 17 years down the line. I'm still in love with technology law. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, I did not particularly enjoy the way technology law was practiced in India. Um, I did not think that the people who were guiding me were particularly technology savvy. Um, I didn't, I I thought there were hundreds of ways we could do things better from the way the you know the partner had a huge cabin and you had a a small desk which you shared with 10 others right um two permissions controls time into office um it, it just seemed to me that the indian law firm of the early 2000s was a restrictive place which made rules which were not necessarily directly con required by efficiency but which were there because that is the way the systems have been for hundreds of years, and in the views of those, in the in the minds of those who still made the rules at that time, that is the way it will continue to be.
0: Mm.
1: Right? Sort of pure frustration. I went and applied for a master's, um, and I and this is I think the first time I'm admitting it in a public forum. I applied to um, four places: Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard, Yale and got rejected in all four, right? Mm. So for someone who had a ego, the sight of the mountain, of a mountain, um, who was convinced that he had things to do and things to give to the world uh, and a unique perspective and all of that, not getting accepted to university was a slap on my face, right? Mm. Um, so I, went back and I said I've got to re-examine myself, I mean I didn't quit my job so I kept doing, you know, working on, 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 on all, the, all the things that I had to do, um, work was interesting in parts which is the tech parts, um, work was boring in parts which was the kind of traditional parts so I immediately knew okay between the many things that I've got to do, these are the things that you know that, 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 that appeal to me. Um, and then I sat down and I called up friends of mine who'd done masters in law before and I spoke to them and said, and I was such an idiot not to do it. I spoke to them and said, boss, what is it that a university wants to hear from an aspiring Indian student? Because I still had enough confidence to know that I could still sell ice to Eskimos, right? Um, And that has always been a core skill, be it college school. Wherever there was an ability to sell. So um, I spoke to 10 people. I figured out that universities don't really uh, care about much else other than um, uh, your grades or the latest fad, right? And uh, I didn't have the, the greatest of grades. So I decided I'll rely on a fad I could identify. Uh, um, and at that time, in technology law, you know, there was a big big debate on something called originality. So my application now pivoted to originality. It had a a four page story on what I thought about originality and how I disagreed with the UK House House of Lords and a bit of all of that nonsense pandering to certain professors in certain universities. I identified nine universities, five that I thought were in the top league And four that I thought were not so great were my backup plans, applied and got into all nine, right? So it was, (laughs) okay, my world was offended, right? Because I was like, why did I waste all this money if I was going to get into all nine? And I did get into Berkeley, um, which ought to have been priority number one for a tech law enthusiast. But the Indian in me said Oxford, 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 so I ended up going to Oxford. Okay. <laughs> um, again, mistake number 999. I mean, loved the university, love the rigor. The work wasn't about what I particularly enjoyed. Um, I thought the university was a little too white for a for a commie from Kerala, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and I will tell you, pile, even now an abridged version of um uh, the Communist Manifesto is on my wall in the firm, right? Mm, mm,
0: mm. Um,
1: so there's a little bit of that that's still continuing. But I was a misfit in Oxford. I was a, um, a, a let's not call me a commie. Let's call me a left-wing socialist in um, a university which is a wildly conservative, right? Mm. Uh, uh, even when even even their left wing is conservative, right? So. <laughs> So to that extent, um, missed it. Finished that degree. Um, needed loan, Needed needed to pay back um, loans for that, and so um, needed to pay back the money that I um, borrowed to to, to to go to university. Uh, went through three law firms. Went through um, uh, an American law firm, uh, an Anglo-American law firm. Went to a Chinese law firm. Uh, by which that time, I was bald. I, would, I had you know whatever hair I had was great um, so the personality had slightly changed I was less and slightly more accepting of the way the world was um, still very sure that in my head I had something to give back and wanted to start a lot um, I always knew that I could not do that in Singapore because the cost of starting up in Singapore was very high um, so I decided to move back just as I was about to move back. Um, uh, the head of an Indian law firm said, you know what? We need a head of our Singapore practice. So I said, hey, why not for about a few years? Let me try this. Um, that went on for about four, by four, four or five years. Um, came back to India in 2016, uh, looked around and saw that, hey, this looks very, very refreshingly like 2005 or 6. Nothing much had changed in the delivery of law. Um, but having been in Singapore, I knew that everything could change. Right. Um, so I called up an old friend of mine and said, Hey, let's give it a shot. He's also in Singapore with me. Um, let's give it a shot. Let's try and build a place. And, and this is where I think. Um, you will find a lot of um, uh, similarity in perspective let 's try and build a place where lawyers can come and work together and feel happy about it. Mm. right let 's try and build a place which is not a home which is not a family but a place where extremely good lawyers come together and uh, be the best versions that they can of themselves mm. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and being um, um, a, a fan of, of football club Barcelona, I smiled at my partner and something like what Johan Kreif built in Barcelona. Uh, and my partner turned around to me and said, no, no, something like what Ronaldo built in Madrid. Right? And that was three days of hangover, but to build a nice, happy place for exceptionally good lawyers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not too sure if we're there yet, but I'd like to think that if, if well begun is half the journey, then we're at the halfway point. Right.
0: Matthew, mm. what's surprising for me is, uh, when I did work with, uh, your organization uh, to understand about, you know, what's the culture of happiness like, and I have known other law, law firms, um, the way happiness is described is very different. Uh, For the other law firms, happiness is that one big case, uh, a Ferrari to be able to drive in, uh, to be able to meet that big guy and, you know, uh, go with him wherever he is and uh, have that name as a chip on my shoulder. So that is what happiness is with a lot of stress, obviously, um, and, uh, you know, becoming the blue eyed boy or girl in the organization. So that's what is from other law firms is what I have heard. So when I, when I uh, spoke with your people in the study that I had done, it was very different. Um, and in your organization, it was more about being able to do the work that I like to do, being able to have a choice, uh, having the freedom a culture uh, of, you know, taking that one week off. I was really shocked when I heard that. So how did you get to do that?
1: Oh, so one week has become much more. So it's become every two years you get a month off where we guarantee that you do not, you will not be touched. Mm. Plus you get 30 days of leave. Plus if you've been in the organization for two weeks, you can work from home for as long as you want to.
0: Mm. Mm. And
1: that's been the way it's been for the last year, much before COVID-19.
0: Mm.
1: Right. So, um, uh, it's become a month. Um, it's become more concentrated and now people have actually routinely take it, right? Everybody who comes up, take that leave. Because Mm -hmm. I think initially there was that apprehension that, um, it would affect your career, but we've made it very, very clear that, you know, you can take your 30 days of annual leave plus your one month off, um, in every two years. your work from home, all as long as your productivity does not dip mm,
0: mm. and
1: it was built primarily on Praveen and me sitting around and we are basically fairly chilled out lawyers thinking and saying we're closing in on 40 what do we want out of a employer that is what we want to give to our employees
0: mm.
1: right and this is exactly what we want because I, I'm, I'm willing to work really hard for 11 months in a year as long as I, for at least, you know, um, 30 days, I can do whatever I want.
0: Mm. Right? So could you describe a little more about what's the culture of Spice food legal now? Uh, I'm sure that you, both you and Praveen would have put in a lot of thought around um, how this is. And I remember you once sharing that you don't want this to turn out to be like other law firms. So what would the culture be like? How do you describe that a little more for me?
1: right so um and and i'll I'll describe the culture throughout the growth mm-hmm. um and I'll describe the challenges we've had mm-hmm. um where we've made mistakes and how we've tried to correct it right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we started out as a very happy place because we were a, a very small law firm, so the vast number of people who were joining us um did not have great expectations from the law firm, right. Um, so we had people who um, were mid-career, who like me, were in a corporate pra- practice or wanted to do tech or were in a tech practice and wanted to do corporate and wanted to kind of move around. And their existing organizations did not allow them to move around. So they applied to us. And we've of course given them, as as you know, we've given them a lot of flexibility in terms of the work that they can do. Um, so, you know, so with the initial group was a fairly closely knit group or very aware of everyone's weaknesses strengths um, are very close with each other are able to like you know um, uh, like for example there is someone who knows that um, uh, on certain calls I will tend to be disinterested and therefore will step up right Um, on the other hand also knows that on some calls uh, these are my favorite areas of work and therefore will be on a full swing and therefore um, um, you know, we will we'll, we'll, we'll therefore play accordingly. Um, and again, the football analogy, which is that you know, if you've got a playmaker in the middle, I have to know everybody's weaknesses and strengths so that the ball is passed to the right person at the right time. Right? Um, that's how I'd like to think the culture was. Um, somewhere in the second year, the the market started standing up and saying, "Hey, Spicewood suit legal." Not a bad mid-tier offering, right? Um, which changed the dynamic because client pressure came in. Um, the clients were all big names, so we reacted positively to this pressure. Many of us stepped up our game. Similarly, people at certain levels of law firms and and lawyers across the country looked up and said, "I might want to join this firm," right? And mm-hmm. And given the twin, which is significant increase in client base and very, very attractive CVs. We had not seen before.
0: Mm.
1: We rapidly expanded our workforce.
0: Mm.
1: Right. So at some stage, I think last year in the span of three months, we doubled the number of people who were at work. Mm. Right what we then realize is that as an organization, we are unique in that, at least in India, in the legal field, um, we tend to give a lot of autonomy to all stakeholders in the firm. Right. And people who are not used to that level of autonomy tend to not know how to react. Hmm. And having half your workforce being new to the firm and new to autonomy. We got into trouble because suddenly work culture was a challenge yeah. because people were looking at, and, and I, I had, I had a colleague come to me and say, Matthew, people like being ordered around, <laughs> right. And so in my. In my desire to kind of deliver exceptionally good quality work for about three to four months. I started ordering around, right? And then again, Praveen and I looked back at each other and said, this is not what we want, right? That is not what we set out to create the law firm for. So then what we're doing and what we're still doing is identifying those So we did one thing before. We went back to what we think is our HR Bible, which is that original Netflix HR Bible. I'm sure you know what. There was a talent Bible that Netflix came out with, I think a few decades ago, which told everybody what they are trying to hire and how they try to hire. Okay. Right. And one of them was that if you were to give, is that they want to give everybody autonomy. They want to everybody control over the product. They want to give everybody the ability to decide how much to work. Uh, they don't have a leave policy. You can take as many leaves as you want um, all of that. As long as you are being productive. What is also what is professed before this is that they believe that there is a, a very small sliver of potential employees who will belong to this work culture. Mm-hmm. Nobody else will so so the next story was, hey, we'll give you a lot of freedom, but if you don't deserve it, then you will quickly have to go and What we failed in was this quick process of eliminating people who might be happier in different scenarios and circumstances right mm-hmm. um, for example, people who like order um, don't can't fit in in spice legal because Along with autonomy for 30 moving parts is chaos, right? Mm. Um, So, yeah, so we doubled back in and we said, okay, we've got to now eliminate uh, people. Of course, we're not, um, I mean, in any way, um, um, uh, rude about the process. Um, In fact, some of the people who um, we would have ideally um, uh, thought would be happier in other places are still along with us. Us. They're aware that they might be happier in other places. They're looking out, um, but but again, you know, but that is a process which that is a learning which we had from the from the massive culture change we still saw in mid 2019, mm-hmm. and the severe challenge it had to prove in my leadership styles because our immediate reaction was no work quality to a client must never be affected. It mm-hmm. took us two to three months to go back and say, Hey, what is, why is it that this is happening? And can we systematically engineer our HR processes to eliminate this from happening again?
0: Um,
1: so lots of lessons we've learned still more autonomy to the people who need the, who, who, who deserve the autonomy, um, st- slightly lengthier, more scrutiny over potential applications. Uh, potential applicants for jobs, not just on core quality of skills and on what they have done in the previous organizations, but also on what is their expectation of an organization? How have they been treated in their last organizations and how likely and easily are they going to fit into what is a very what we hope will be a very. Very democratic, still more democratic setup as we grow larger, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the other thing we had to go we have to figure out is um that at the mid-level, a lot of people enjoyed the autonomy. There was a natural instinct to curtail that autonomy when, like Praveen and I had to curtail that autonomy when people started taking advantage of the autonomy, mm-hmm. right? So, like we reacted to a culture change the mid-level who are very happy with their autonomy also similarly reacted with their um, with people who were reporting to them and restricted their autonomy as a reaction to the lessening the difference in work culture that they were facing so we've had to work with them transparently democratically to bring things back to where they were say two years ago I'd again say we're about 60 to 70 percent there. I still wish, I still think we're a far happier place than most organizations in India. But I think we've still got a very long journey before I can roll back and say, "Hey, this is that happy place." Praveen and I envisioned in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, so requirement number one, I think that we've identified is um, there has to be a Inner urge to constantly improve
0: mm. right mm.
1: that is that is one of the biggest h r lessons that I have learned, mm. so no matter how intelligent you are, no matter how brilliant your work experience is, if you are not on a daily basis going to say, What have I learned today that is different from um what I knew yesterday that is in addition to my skill sets. You will not fit into spicy, food, mm. right? The second is, I think you need to have an ego, the size of a mountain, and every time a client is even semi disapproving, you need to take it as a personal insult and you need to fix it, mm. right? And the third thing that we find is, is that you've all always got to be aiming to be the best in your field, whatever your field may be. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and and this is all things that we've learned over the last year or two, right? Uh, Because the ideal example was um, socialist bent of mind. Lawyering is something that is easy to do and it is something that is easy to do. Therefore, if you want to work only half a day, or if you want to work only for a certain amount of people. However, in your formative five years, this is when you, and, and this is my, my, my ideal example, going back to that. This is when you are training to become a member of a larger football team, right? Work life balance at that time does not work. Right? <laughs> Yeah, so I think you're in
0: some way you are saying you're preparing yourself in the first few years to be able to then uh, become a player who can be called out as your as your own individual style.
1: And the moment you're a player, work-life balance gets it. Yeah, yeah. Then you just need to keep fitness working. Make sure you read the laws and the updates that come in. And then mm-hmm. if you want to, but as long as you are messing up and you are learning by messing up and you need us to. You know, kind of supervise you closely. Unfortunately, there is, I still haven't found the secret sauce to providing balance there, right? I think as we grow larger, though, we should be able to create a team that wants to run really hard and a B team that wants to support the A team in running really hard, right? But mm-hmm. we're not there yet in
0: some way uh, what you are articulating is uh, to, for for people to work in a culture like at srl uh, there needs to be a learning orientation there needs to be uh, the need for or the desire for uh, looking at excellence and to be able to uh, you know have have the capacity to say i messed up
1: and and fix it correct and and, and publicly admit openly transparently there is no space in this race to be the best for hubris, false pride, or any of those kind of things, right,
0: right.
1: And and, and again, we've had like I've had a a very young lawyer come to me and say, Matthew, why are you pointing out my faults publicly? Uh-huh. Right, and I sat her down and said, you know, if I don't point it out publicly, and I point it out privately, given the power equation, you cannot call me to account. Mm-hmm. If I point it out publicly, and I am being unreasonable to you, there are. Thirty other people who can stand up and say Matthew, that's unreasonable, and some of them, at least in the present context, will, mm. right? Mm. But the Indian systems, very closed doors, cloak and dagger. Um, uh, um, uh, you know your or feedbacks are seen as you know as 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 a, as an exercise in political correctness. <laughs> We're not. We are an exercise in political incorrectness. Every flaw is out there for everyone to see. As is every uh, example of of extraordinary brilliance, right? Mm-hmm. And we will appreciate the brilliance as you should, and you should appreciate the flaws, both in 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 what the founders have, as well as in the flaws that you have in yourself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But you tell me, Piyal, is that something that you come across uh, in organizations?
0: Two things that uh, I see in younger organizations or at least in leaders who are wanting to uh, lead not in, the, not in the traditional way. Uh, one thing that they are doing is equalizing, uh, which is you tell me what I need to do and I tell you what you need to do and there is transparency. And I see you also articulating that. Uh, the other one is that confrontation and respect are two different things. I can confront you, but that doesn't mean I don't respect you. Um, And in some way, you're also articulating that because feed feedback when when given, often people say that, you know, it's disrespectful, if it is disrespectful, it is one thing, but if it is about confrontation, it's another thing. So I see that that often becomes the push and pull in some organizations where leaders want to be transparent with their team members and vice versa.
1: Correct. Yeah, possibly. And we've never had any trouble in terms of, of feedback, transparency with. Um lawyers who have joined us um from startup. Um we've had troubles with processes from people who joined us from large organizations um where this approach is just not seen.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Right. Um and I shudder to think and, and, and that to me now in retrospect explains why probably I was unhappy with the larger organizations I worked with and their structures, right? Yeah. Um because I wasn't really, I mean, in every organization that I worked in, I found leaders I admire, right? Uh, And and people I could learn from. So um, in no case was it that I looked at larger organizations that I've worked in and said, Hey, you guys are not, um, that that there are not people here who comply with, you know, the urge for excellence or self-improvement or all of that. I think my my biggest problem with the larger organizations I've worked with have always been this whole um, cloak and dagger approach to work and we've tried to fix that.
0: Okay. All right. So Matthew, what we have spoken about so far is about, uh, you know, uh, what got you to this journey of being a lawyer, uh, journey of starting up uh, Spice Fruit Eagle, um, and then also looking at the culture before I move on to the next piece, which is to get to know you more as a person. I'm curious to know why the name for your firm is such. What got you and Praveen to look at that?
1: Oh, so it was very simple. Um, I was in Singapore, Praveen was in India. We looked at the niche market and he we said, we, first of all, the first thing that we said was, you know, a traditional law firm would have been Chako, Raju and Associates, right? Um, we thought that was horrible. Um, But more importantly than that, I think that is the root cause of um, uh, the, the, the kind of self promotion that is common in many law firms that I know, right? Um, So we didn't want that. We wanted something. We wanted an organization that was going to succeed us. um, And therefore there was no urge to put our name there. That was open and unfilled by the Indian market. Was uh, people who were able to um, conclusively provide international lawyering skills in India. So that's the, the niche we provided. And what is the most um, uh, okay. historic, traditional uh, Indian, uh, international, India international trading route? It wasn't the Silk Route, it was the Spice Route, and hence the name. We believe in some very, very, very traditional values. Mm. Lots of hard work lots of attempt at perfecting the work product. Um, The idea that you personally carry your brand and you are not part of a machine um, or the resistance to look at um, each lawyer with unit economics in mind, but to look at each lawyer as perfecting an art. And therefore to value the legal artistry that is there. These are all things that that if you look at Indian lawyers of the 50s and the 60s, and if you look at Setalwad and Sirvai, and you could see, and you go to a court, you would see oratory in motion, right? Um, whereas if you go to a court now, I get the feeling that you see uh, people paid by the hour with 40 assistants coming in there and struggling to make a string a string a sentence together in whichever language they are communicating, Um, and we are. In our, in our conception of ourselves, which may be very wrong from what we are, we are traditionalists. Um, we believe that that uh, the firm is comprised of and again, harkening back to the Messis and the Ronaldos of the world, not too efficient football played by the Italians, right? Hence spicy. I,
0: I can't believe I'm listening to a lawyer while you're sharing this. I'm really in the very uh, appreciation of, of the creativity and the thought behind uh, why this and why the organization, why such a name, etc. So, so
1: I must tell you um, uh, another story related to this. When we came up with the name, um, I had a little bit of a, of a, of, of a fear that the market would not accept it. Um, and a good friend who was, uh, and I was in Singapore at that time. And a good friend who was really was, um, uh, branding head in Asia. Um, I, and, and now a client, um, I called him and said, you know what boss, I need a, I need to have a cup of coffee with you and I need to consult with you. And he turned around to me and said, you, the lawyer wants to consult with me, the branding person, I said, yeah, yeah just shut up and come, I'll buy you a cup of coffee. Um, we went to a, a very famous coffee shop in Singapore, sat outside. And I said, I'm going to start a law firm called Spice Fruit Legal. And um, this gentleman in his fifties, just put his cup of tea down. He looked at me like I was an idiot and said, dude, that's a Malayali restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's now a client. Uh, in fact, he's one of our bigger clients. Um, but, and, and and not only is he our client, he's also one of our largest advocates in Singapore.
0: So I want to shift gears uh, to this conversation and come to uh, some aspects of uh, makes you who you are today. Um, what, what are your own beliefs about happiness? How would you define it? How do you live it?
1: Yes. Yeah, so to a large extent and a late professor of mine called John Gardner would call my definition of a good life. Right. It would definitionally involve a beach. Um, it would involve a daiquiri or maybe Ramen coke. Um, it would involve music and it would involve being the best lawyer in the field that I specialize in and being able to deliver cutting edge technology, law advice to people from that beach in my beach shop. Mm. As the founder of a law firm, it would also involve enabling others who have different conceptions of a good life to also achieve the same within the rubric of this form. And the only things that I like to add now in the last two years is I'd want my two dogs with me.
0: Also, if I were to ask you what, according to you are
1: the blocks of happiness that you either experience or that you see people live. So both from a firm building perspective, as well as from a personal life choice i think happiness means achieving the means to be the best version of oneself right and when i say that i don't mean being the best lawyer that might be happiness for some of us but happiness should mean being the best at what you want to be hmm. right and for me happiness is very clearly from in a professional context being the best technology lawyer in the world and being able to deliver that quality of service in beach shots with a drink in my hand and a a polluted, a non-polluted clean sea facing Um, other people controlling your life. So I think the basic building block of happiness is autonomy. Uh,
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, and and, and my clients, we're called experts in blockchain technology and uh, yeah, but that is the ideal version of me, us, firm, etc., which is a decentralized, autonomous, um, self-improvising cons- process that constantly makes things a little better all the time. Yeah. To okay. misquote Philip. All right.
0: Okay. Thanks for that, Matthew. Um, And now that, you know, um, I'm getting to know you in this way, um, I'm also going to now move to the third segment of this talk, which is the last one, Mm -hmm. uh, which we call Quick Bites. Quick Bites is to experience the spontaneity of the guest Mm -hmm. um, and in the process, look at, you know, how do you respond to it? So the questions that I'm going to ask you here are questions that typically show up in our research. Mm -hmm. I want to get your spontaneous response to them. Mm The first one is uh, we've heard a lot of leaders, uh, people, employees say they want work-life balance. Uh, What would your response be to those people who ask for this?
1: To those people who ask for work-life balance?
0: Yeah.
1: It's a myth. It does not exist. But I would like to think that all of work and all of life is a continuum. You've got to be able to enjoy life and work at the same time. This rigid demarcation that people seem to think uh, exists between work and life, in my conception, does not exist, um, and in all honesty, in the way the firm is working it 's evident that it does not exist. However, the ones who find most happiness in the firm are the ones who are able to say it's one o'clock on a working day. I am a fabulous tech lawyer, but I want to do my one hour of yoga at cult so um take a hike client this is the time that i'm going to go yoga and come back and at five o'clock you say i want to go walk my dogs i'm going to walk my dogs i will walk my dogs and at six o'clock you get back in switch on your computer and start doing those two hours of work that the client expects or you've got kids you've got to take care of take care of the kids get back to the work only those people who can see that continuum i think would be happy in a workplace or at least in our workplace. Yeah. So
0: all all the guests that I've spoken to are, have said something similar. So it's it's people who live and walk the talk, and that that's a good space to be. In.
1: Or or people are glib about talking to uh, HR consultants. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah.
0: This is this is the last one on this, which is about ranking. So I'm going to give you five choices. I want you to rank it basis. Uh, you know, what makes you more happy? Um, one is money. Second is a holiday. Three is time with family, uh, family, friends. Uh, fourth is game of choice. And fifth is food you relish. What would be your order? Uh,
1: time with family, friends and dog. Yes. Um, holiday.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, food I relish.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Game. Finally, money.
0: Okay, all right. Thank you so much for being spontaneous in the quick bites. Here is uh, the question that we often ask, and we also did this when we spoke to your members uh, when we did the study. And I'm going to bring back a similar question to you. Uh, If you had a magic wand, granted three wishes, uh, specifically focusing on to make either the work you're doing, the world, the fraternity. Whatever it is, be a happier space. What would your wishes be?
1: Um, What are my three wishes that we would want? Um, Absolutely seamless internet connection would be one, but I think that would across the world, right? A group of hundred lawyers, who each one of whom are the best at what they do. Third would be to be in a city by a sea without traffic problems, right. Um, where there's plenty of work, obviously, (laughs) those are the three ingredients I could think of that I think would make everybody happy, right?
0: Mm, mm, mm.
1: Not necessarily everybody, but at least everyone who shares similar aspirations. Yeah.
0: All right. Thank you so much uh, for this part of the conversations.